Amen. Good morning, church. Glad to see you all here this morning. Thanks for coming and being a part of worship this morning. My name's John. I serve here as the executive pastor. Church, we've made it. 13 weeks in Colossians. <laughs> One more Sunday. Uh, I'm really excited to, uh, to wrap things up. It's been a joy to, uh, to lead, to preach uh, this summer. Thanks for your your patience and your encouragement and your support and, and all that this summer. It's been a real joy. Our senior pastor will be back next week, and uh, we are really excited because we're kicking off a new sermon series in the book of Revelation. So Kelly has been uh, doing some reading as a part of his sabbatical, and, and uh, he's come fired up next week to, to preach in Revelation, so I'm, I'm excited about that. We're going to wrap up Colossians this morning. We're going to read the last part, and uh, I'm going to teach a little bit uh, through this last section of chapter 4. We'll be verses 7 through 18 uh, this morning. Let me read it for us, and then uh, we'll make some applications to our lives from the text. Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Bar uh, Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Aeropolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the house or in the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that you also read in the church it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you may in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember, Paul is in Rome in prison while he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae. These uh, men travel with these letters and uh, present them to these churches, and we're going to learn a little bit more about this today. Last week, uh, Mark Wilkerson preached, and he noted that at the end of this, this uh, letter to the Colossians, the, the scripture he had last week, the first six verses of chapter four, was a little bit like the ending of a movie, kind of the climax of the film where all the main characters and everybody's kind of gathered around. He said it's like everybody's got their arms around each other and we're, we're kind of celebrating that we've made it. The, 
all the, the, the things that we've gone through, we're here together, and it's, a, it's kind of this climax moment, this celebration moment. I kind of like that picture. In many ways, it's true. The, the first six verses of the chapter really kind of summarize many of the things that Paul has been teaching throughout his letter. And if Mark is right, if this is the sort of the end of the, the scene, the, the kind of the closing scene, well, the, the section we have today is, is the credits. The, the credits that roll at the end of a film. If you've been in a movie theater, you, you, you know what this is, right? The, the, the film's over and the credits roll, and most people do what? They stand up and they make their way to the exits. Well, of course, then there's, there's also some who stay, right? They, they stay and they sit in their seats and they, they watch the credits roll. And oftentimes they do that for what's called the post-credit scene. You guys all know what I'm talking about? It took me a little while to, to know what this meant. I had to go to like these superhero movies with my kids and they're like, no, dad, we can't leave. There's a post-credit scene. I'm thinking the the first movie I went to, first movie theater, a movie I went to at a movie theater was Karate Kid. You guys remember that one? No post-credit scene. <laughs> it's like, as soon as the credits roll, the packed theater, everybody makes their way to the exits. Sometimes there's a, this post-credit scene, and, and I've actually heard that sometimes people go to the film just to see the post-credit scene because it reveals something about the storyline, or what's happening next. Like, it's the best part of the, of the movie, of the experience. And while I am not suggesting that the best part of Paul's letter to the Colossian church is found here in the credits, I am suggesting that there are some, some meaningful things that are happening here, that there are some, some truth uh, for us here. Some things that we can learn, some things that we can apply to our lives, even in the credits as they roll. So let's dig in a little bit this morning. I'm going to make three observations, three points, three observations uh, this morning. Two of them are relatively short. The last one is a little bit longer, and we'll spend some more time there. The first observation I'd like to make is this, that there is a spirit of sharing and collaboration within Christianity, within the churches specifically that Paul is ministering to. We see this connection between Aeropolis and Laodicea and Colossae and the church in Ephesus. There's a spirit of, of sharing and collaboration, right? Sending people back and forth, sharing letters amongst these different churches. There's this collaboration within the movement of Christianity. When I reflect on that, I think of things like our modern era, in our modern church, where I know pastors who have had to sign non-compete agreements so that they don't leave their church and go plant a church within their own community that could be competitive to the church that they're currently at. I can tell you stories of churches in this community who have actively worked to not allow other churches to be planted or, or assembled within their, what they would call their footprint, because it's, it's, it's too competitive. Churches that share 
false things, false information about other churches in order to to prevent people from, from leaving their church and going to that church. What's, what on earth, right? Like, what is going on? In our community, in this community, we need more churches. There is not a place on the face of the earth that doesn't need more churches, that doesn't need more people preaching the gospel, that doesn't need more space for people to gather. And we think Wheaton is this over-churched kind of community. Well, all the research would show that at least a third of our community does not know and follow Jesus. And on any given Sunday, over half of the people in Wheaton and Glen Allen do not go to church. There is no spirit, there is no place for any spirit of competition within Christianity, whether it's here in Wheaton or Glen Allen or anywhere in our country, anywhere in the world. I want to say that that kind of behavior, that kind of competition of trying to, to push somebody out and not allow them to plant a church or, or try to actively close down another church, I, I would describe that as evil. I would describe that as repulsive. If there's anything that we should be about as a church, it's about collaborating and celebrating and helping other people find and follow Jesus. And if it can't happen at Glen Allen Bible Church for somebody, well then I want it to happen somewhere else. I want them to find a place and find a church. So what this means for us is that when people leave GBC, which I know you're shocked, but there are people that actually do that. And we don't, of course we're sad and, 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 and we want them to stay, but at the same time it's more important to us that they find a church where they can plug in and they can grow as a believer. I think of, uh, I think I was on staff here. I had been attending the church. My family, we've been attending here for over almost 11 years now, and I've been on staff for almost six. And when I joined the staff team, I remember shortly after joining, we got an email uh, from another church talking about a church that was about to be planted in our community. So it's like, hey, do you guys know they're going to plant a church? And, and you know what Kelly did? He invited the church planner to come here that we could get to know him, that he could get to learn about us, and then we took him to lunch together. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a little unique. Anything you need as you go and plant this church, it was out on Butterfield Road, let us know. We want to help. We need more churches. We need more gospel, right, in our community. So a spirit of collaboration, of celebration, of encouraging each other is present in this letter. Second, at the core of the mission of Christianity, the, the growth and the expansion of Christianity is this idea of sending, sending out, right? We see Paul sending people out. As he's going along on his missionary journeys, he's gathering people, right, to, to himself. We're going to hear a little bit more about this in a second. But he's gathering people on these journeys. He's sharing Christ. People are coming to faith and they're joining Paul on the mission, and Paul is empowering them and encouraging them and training them and helping them, developing pastors in some of these folks, and then he sends them out. He sends them out. Part of what we do as a church, part of what 
Christianity is all about is this idea of equipping and developing and empowering and then sending out. And sometimes, church, as Paul expresses in his letter, it's at the sake of our own comforts. Like Paul talks about, like, he was such a comfort to me. I really wish he was here, but now he's sent out. And I think of of our church experience. Often we want to kind of keep everybody here, right? Like we like that person. Don't go. (laughs) That pastor or maybe it's a, a church leader, a key volunteer in the ministry, whatever it may be. But there's this mission there's this part of Christianity where we, we raise up, we equip, we empower, and we send out. And we encourage people to do that. I think of parents. Maybe this hits home a little bit, right? Where your child wants to go or do or experience. I think of families here in the church who have had children that have been born, raised, discipled, equipped, and then sent out. And some of the places that they go are not really comfortable or friendly places. And I think of those families and the, the heartache, right, of sending a child away. But I, I see that being so much on point with the gospel, so much on point with what Paul does. We should support and be a part of a church that is, that is consistently, constantly equipping, building up, and sending people out. We have a pastor here on staff who's actually responsible for caring for and and helping and encouraging and and leading people to be sent out. It's something that we see here in Paul's letter, and I I don't want to just skip over it because it's a key part of who we are as a church. All right, the third thing. The third thing I want want to talk about, I'm going to spend most of my, my time here The work of the faith, the work of running the race of faith, the work of growing as a disciple, the work of being sanctified is a team sport. It's a team sport. Paul's closing of Colossians, in the credits here, we see Paul teaching us that he doesn't work alone. He doesn't work alone. He has this this crew, right? this crew around him, this group, this team that he knows and trusts, and he's not doing this work alone. Paul uses really, really strong language here. He calls these people that he's with, he calls them brothers. He calls them brothers. These are like family to Paul. Dear brothers, Fellow servants, fellow ministers of the gospel. This is who Paul is surrounding himself with. People that are, that are on mission and they, they care for Paul and Paul in turn cares for them. There's this beautiful relationship surrounding himself with people who are on mission. People that are on mission like Paul is on mission. People who know, understand, believe, and are passionate about carrying out the gospel, sharing the gospel with others. Each year I have a number of people, a number of people express to me frustration 
about their faith, feeling that they are, they're not growing, they're not developing, they feel stagnant, the, the Word of God doesn't mean something as much in their life, or their experience in church is dry, and then they just feel like they're, they're not making any progress. And you know what? One of the first questions I ask them, not are you reading your Bible, are you praying, are you coming to church? I say, who are you hanging around with? Who's in your circle? Who's, who's talking in your ear? Who's the group that you run with? Because I think often what happens is we run with people and we get involved and we spend most of our time with people who are not necessarily on mission like, like we want to be on mission. We don't have a, a squad, right? A crew, a team that we can rely on that challenges us and speaks into our life, pushes us, grows us. Now, church, certainly, I am not saying that your entire life experience should be one that just interacts with fellow believers, that you should only have people in your group that are just like you. I think that's not the case. I think, I think we should use our relationships and our family and to, to share the gospel with our neighbors and people that aren't like us. But I think it's really important to recognize that there's a both and going on here. That we need, without a doubt, people that are, are a part of our lives, that we can rely on, that speak into our lives, that challenge us, that work with us on mission, that understand why we do strange things sometimes for the sake of the gospel and can encourage us in that as we raise families and, and, and as we're in the workplace. All the things that we're, we're doing, we need people. And I'm not talking about just friends not talking about just Christian friends. Like you, you like the same things and, and they're a Christian and you're a Christian, well, great. I'm talking about people that are actually on mission. Like you're working together. You're, you're understanding each other at a deep level. Because living the Christian life is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. It's a team sport. Paul says that his crew is faithful, they're sacrificial, they're ministers, they're encouragers, they're caring, they're servants, they're prayer warriors. This is the circle. This is the group that Paul is a part of. Man, that's a great encouragement. A great, it's a great inspiration to me to think about who, who is in my crew, who's on my team with me. But you know what's equally encouraging to me here at the end as we look through the credits a little bit here. There's a lot of names. And I encourage you to dig into later outside of this Sunday sermon if you're interested. You can, you can learn about some of the names that are listed there and some of the incredible things that happened to these men that Paul lists. I want to highlight just two of them this morning. The first one is Tychicus. I'm going to call him Ty because there is no chance that Paul called this guy Tychicus every day. You're going with Ty, all right? We're calling him Ty. The man with a servant's heart. A man with a servant's heart. We first meet Ty in Acts 20, verse 4. And in this chapter, the apostle Paul is in Ephesus. He's winding down his third missionary journey, and he has this plan. He comes up with this plan to go into Macedonia and he's going to gather an offering from the churches in Macedonia, and he's going to send that offering back to Jerusalem. 
And he thinks what would be really powerful and impactful is that if he gathered some people that are from that area that have come to faith in Christ, Gentiles, and that he, he'll grab some Gentiles with him and he'll take this offering and he'll bring it back to Jerusalem and he'll present it and say, look, look what God is doing here in these far-off lands. And so Tychicus is a, sorry, Ty. Ty is one that is selected, that volunteers to go with Paul on this journey. And just the going alone, just the saying, yeah, I'll go. We don't know about Ty's background. We don't know about his family situation. We don't know about his life. But just saying yes to going on a missionary journey with Paul says a lot about who Ty is. Because no question, as soon as you step out of your door and you link arms with Paul, stuff's about to happen. Like this is not just a trip. Yeah, I've always wanted to get to Jerusalem. I'll go with Paul. No one is saying that. Ty has got a, a, a servant's heart, a missional heart, an adventurer's heart. This gives us an indication of the spirit of Ty, the kind of man he was. And now we, we fast forward a little bit from his mission journey with Paul to here in Colossians, some four years later, and, and we see that he is still with Paul. He's, he's still around. He's loyal. He went to Jerusalem with him, and most likely he returned with him. He's been on mission with Paul, likely caring for Paul while Paul is in prison. But what's interesting is that we, if we skip ahead a little bit, so Jerusalem, Colossians, and if we fast forward, if we skip ahead a little bit to Titus and 2 Timothy, Ty's name comes up again. And it comes up in that context of Ty filling in as an interim pastor for the churches, for, for Titus's church and Timothy's church, while Titus and Timothy return to spend time with Paul, Tychicus. Tychicus, Ty, is a pastor. He serves as a pastor. He was a, a carrier of the offering to Jerusalem. He was a fellow missionary with Paul, and he was a pastor. All right, now if we come back to Colossians, so Jerusalem, Colossians, Titus, Timothy, let's go back to Colossians here for a second. Paul is in prison in Rome. Some time has passed, four years has passed. Tychicus has proven his loyalty in his trip to Jerusalem and his, his commitment to Paul over these years. He's available, he's, he's open, he's faithful, he's connected, he's loyal. He'll do whatever Paul asks for the sake of the gospel. And this time, Paul says, you're going to be a messenger you're going to be a messenger. I'm going to send you back to the church in Ephesus and Colossae in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Now going from Rome to Colossae was not an easy journey. This is a long trip. You've got to walk by foot across Italy. You've got to jump on a boat, sail the Adriatic Sea. Then you've got to cross Greece. And then you have to sail again on the Aegean Sea. And then you had to walk all the way up 
the Lycus Valley, up to these churches in Colossae, Laodicea, Aeropolis. Paul says he's going to come and he's going to bring you this letter. What's interesting is that he didn't just carry the letter of the Colossians. He carried the letter to the Ephesians as well. In 6 verse 21 of Ephesians, we read, Ty, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. It's exact same text as in Colossians. So Ty has tucked in his robe the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians. Well, he also has a third letter with him. He has the letter to Philemon. Colossians chapter 4 verse 9 talks about Onesimus. That he's sending Onesimus with Tychus. If you know the story, but if you're not familiar, Onesimus was a slave from Colossae that had run away and he is now returning. And Paul has specific instructions for his owner, Philemon, and he writes them in the letter to Philemon, which is a book in the Bible. So Tychicus is sent from Rome, and he's carrying with him Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, which is no big deal, right? Three letters, just letters, a couple hundred miles on foot, on two ships. But if you, if, like, just pause and think about this for a second. Tychicus is carrying the Bible. Like, the original Bible. This is, this is his responsibility. Maybe it's not that big of a deal to you guys. Like, he's carrying in him satchel, the Bible. I mean, what if he quit? What if he said, no thanks? What if he got distracted and said, you know what, I'm going to spend a little bit more time over here? What if he was irresponsible or careless? What if he didn't finish the journey? Paul perhaps may have never known. It would have taken months, if not years, for Paul to, to hear back. This faithfulness, this, this focus, this, this mission mindedness that Ty has. I'm thankful for him because I love these letters. Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. He did the job and we are, are built up as a church because of Ty's faithfulness. Carrying the Bible to these churches. Second, Onesimus. So if, if Ty had a servant's heart, Onesimus has a sinful pass. Onesimus. Onesimus ties us here to the letter in Philemon because Philemon is a book all about Onesimus. Let me just summarize here a little bit. So Colossians was written to the church in Colossae and Philemon was written to one of the families in that church in Colossae, the family of Philemon. And we know that Philemon was a pillar in this Colossian church. He was a leader, that he loved the Lord. 
His family was actually involved in, in the church, and it's most likely that the church actually met in Philemon's house. And Philemon came to Christ, obviously, because of Paul. And Philemon, as I said, was a, a pillar in the church. Paul says of Philemon in verse 9, or sorry, verse 19, you owe me your own self. He was a convert of Paul. He was a wealthy man. And like those who are, are wealthy in that day and age, he participated in the practice of slavery, which we've talked about this a few weeks ago, that isn't the same as our modern slavery. It's like this bondservanthood. So, so Onesimus was in the household of Philemon as a slave, working off some kind of debt or making right for some kind of wrongdoing. But Onesimus didn't like his situation, and so as a slave, he runs away. He flees Philemon's household, and he runs as far away as he possibly can get, and he runs all the way to Rome. He ran away, and when you run away as a slave in the system of that day, you should be killed. It's a death sentence. If you're ever caught, if you were to ever go back, you would be killed. So he ran away. He ran all the way to Rome. And he meets this guy named Paul in Rome. And so Paul, who led Philemon to Christ, now leads Philemon's runaway slave to Christ, Onesimus. Which is really quite amazing when you think about it because historians tell us that in that day, there were about two million people in Rome at that time. So from this tiny little village in Colossae where Philemon had come to Christ, his runaway slave comes to Christ in Rome with Paul. And Paul writes this letter now back to Philemon. And he sends Onesimus with Ty, Ty carrying this letter, and he says, Philemon, I know he's a runaway slave, but, but please don't kill him. He went away a slave, and now he has come back as your brother. He has come back as your brother. Paul requests that Philemon opens his arms of love and acceptance to Onesimus, welcoming him back. If we think of Colossians 3, verse 11, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul calls Onesimus a brother, a dear brother, and he calls him faithful. You know, to Philemon, he says, Onesimus is my very heart. Paul is saying, I love this man. This man was a runaway slave. He has a terrible past, one that deserves death. But now he is a dear and faithful brother. And Philemon, you need to accept him as a brother. I think that one of the reasons that Paul included Onesimus in the letter and why he sent him back to Philemon was to show to the church in Colossae how radical 
the gospel really is. How radical the gospel really is. How it fully changes a person's life. Their whole identity is changed. There's no slave nor free. The slave is now your brother. I think Onesimus embodies the reality of the gospel. And I think that's Paul strategically sending him back to this church to say, look what is possible with the gospel. And if the church in Colossae had any doubt about what it meant to follow Jesus, they had a living, breathing example of Onesimus who says, I know I should be killed for what I did, but I'm back. What a radical, what a radical thing that would be happening in Colossae. Imagine him walking up. I mean, these are real people with real stories. Imagine him walking up that dusty trail. What must have been going on in his stomach at the time, thinking about, I am walking to my death. I'm walking to my death. And for Philemon to accept him back as a brother, what a beautiful picture. Radical. Radical change. All right, let's wrap up. Archippus. Before Paul signs his letter in verse 17, he says, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. It's an interesting line to me because if there is a post-credit scene here in this list of credits, this is it. This is the post-credit scene. We didn't cover all the the men listed here in detail, but there's Ty, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas. This, this list of these loyal brothers, these, these fellow ministers, these prayer warriors. And Paul celebrates them, and then he turns his attention to Archie. All right, man. You saw that list? You're up. You're up. Ty, Onesimus, Luke, Mark. Faithful. They did the mission. They did the ministry. Archie, you're up. Let's go. Let's go. It's time. See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Tychus has, Onesimus has, Aristarchus has, Mark has, Justice has, Epaphras has, Luke has. Now you're up. It's time to fulfill it. And here's the thing, church. As we close the book of Colossians, as we, as we close out this letter, I believe that this is a word for us. That we are like the Archie in the story. We're up. We're up. For centuries, the church has grown and moved and changed people's life through ministers of the gospel, living it out and sharing it. And I believe that this is a word for us, that we take everything that we've learned in Colossians, all the promises that Scott talked to us about, and we go. We're up. Time to live it out. In your home, at your workplace, In your neighborhood, we're up.
we're up. It's our turn. Be faithful. Be faithful. Let's fulfill it. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that we can open your word and celebrate together the goodness of what you did in that time, hundreds of years ago, and yet be touched by how applicable it is for us today. God, I pray that we will know the mission and the ministry you've called us to, and that we will be faithful to fulfill it. In Jesus' name, amen.